Bible Biogs in 30 minutes. Through the Bible, one character at a time. Author, pastor and Bible teacher Mike Beaumont is in conversation with David Taverner. In this episode, we're going to be looking at the life of Ruth. Read Ruth's story in the book of Ruth, uh, the four chapters there. Uh, let's just uh, start, Mike, with when this happened in, in, in the timeline of history. Well, the book tells us it starts with the words, in the days when the judges ruled in Israel. And in a previous episode, we looked at some of the judges. And historically, we're, we're looking at a period from about 1375 BC to 1050 BC. So we're looking at a, a big uh, period of history here, about 325 years. And the stories of the 12 judges are picked out from different moments along that spectrum. Where exactly in that period the story of Ruth occurs, we simply don't know. But what it does help us to do is to know that this, this jewel of a story, this light that shines out here, is against a really dark background. It happens in the days when the judges ruled, those dark days when when Israel is in this downward spiral of believing in God, but wanting to believe in God mixed with belief in Baal. They could have wanted it both ways. They wanted it both ways. And God says, you can't have it like that. And as part of his loving discipline, each time they started to turn from him to the Canaanite God Baal, God would allow raiders to come and attack the country. And then they would cry out to God and say, oh God, we're sorry, we love you. Please raise up someone. And, and God raised up a judge, an anointed leader, to rescue his people. And they all say, Lord, we love you. We thank you for rescuing us. We'll serve you forever. Oh, oh that's a lovely bail. And off they go again. History repeating itself. History repeating itself round and round, but also down and down. So this is a really dark period of Israel's history. And that's why this little story of Ruth just shines like it, like a diamond, because it's it's a story of, of love and faithfulness and someone trusting in God, the living God. Who was Ruth? She actually wasn't part of God's people at all. She wasn't a Jew, as we would call them these days. She wasn't an Israelite. She was, in fact, a, a Moabite. She came from Moab. Now, how does a Moabite end up in the story, we might be thinking, because Moab had been old enemies of Israel. They'd resisted Israel when Israel had tried to pass through its territory on the way to the Promised Land at the Exodus. And it all starts because a man called Elimelech has a wife called Naomi, and they have a couple of sons, and they live in Bethlehem in Judah. So they're not in Moab. They're in. They're not in Moab at the moment. They're they're in Bethlehem when the story starts, and they've got a, a couple of sons called uh, Marlon and Kilion. But a famine comes to the land, and so as often happened, you often get people movements in this Old Testament period, and they move to Moab and they settle. Looking, looking for, for food and, and survival, presumably. They're looking for food and survival. They're looking for even more pretty soon as we get into just a few verses of the story, because while they're there, 
Naomi's husband, Elimelech, dies. And she's just left now as a widow with her two sons. And so while they're there in Moab to the southeast of Israel, these two sons marry Moabite women. Local girls. Local girls. Yeah. One's called Orpah and the other's called Ruth. But they're marrying into a different religion then, in a sense, are they? They are, really. They're marrying outside of God's own people. So what happens to them? Well, it all goes pear-shaped. In fact, the story of Naomi is such a sad story in this book. She's experienced famine. She's already lost her husband. And now, while they're there in Moab, her two sons die. And now what we're left with is Naomi, this presumably elderly woman by now, with two daughters-in-law who aren't Israelites. In a world of that time, no one to care for them. No family there, no social security, social services to back you up. So she'd lost the people that could provide for her. She'd lost absolutely everyone. And life becomes so uh, bitter that although her name Naomi meant pleasant, she actually wants to change her name to bitter. She she feels that bad. She feels that bad. And so they decide that the only thing they can do is, is to go back. They hear that there's possibly food again back home that uh, God's blessing Judah again. So Naomi and her two daughters-in-law get ready to journey back to Israel. But of course, for the the two daughters-in-law, this is going to a foreign country. This is emigrating. So on the way back, Naomi suddenly says, do you know what, girls? I can't do this to you. I can't take you away. I'm taking you away from your own family, your own culture, everything you know. I've got nothing to offer, you know. Am I going to have sons now at my age? I can't give you any more husbands. For them, it would have been the equivalent of emigrating. Absolutely. Yeah. And, of course, it was a big issue for them. And everything would have been new. And so she says, girls, Luke, just leave me. Uh, Just go back to your own country uh, and I'll carry on. There's no way that I could provide I guess she thought, this is the the, the mother-in-law, that the the, the daughters-in-law could perhaps remarry in in their homeland. Yeah, and And there's still hope for them. And Mm. in a sense, it's a good heart. She's got a good heart for them. She she wants them to have a future. She feels life is over for her. And here's the interesting bit in the story. Orpah does what's reasonable and natural. She said, yeah, do you know what? It's probably right. I, I need to go. And she goes back home. But but it says Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Clearly, there was a real love between these two. And Naomi says, look, look, there's no point clinging to me. You really need to go back home. And there's these powerful verses in, in Ruth chapter one, where Ruth says to her, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I'll die. And there I will be buried. And, and may the Lord punish me severely, if anything, but death. This is this is Ruth to Naomi. This is Ruth to Naomi. And what a commitment that is. Incredible. And I think it reflects Ruth's heart, 
how could I abandon you, mother-in-law, at a time like this? But the interesting thing, she's not just saying, I'll go with you. She's saying, at this point, I will also become part of your people. Your God will be my God. This is, if you like, her decision moment. She won't worship the gods of the Moabites anymore. Your God will be my God. And clearly she must have been pretty persistent because the story tells us that when Ruth, when, when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go, she, she just had to, okay, daughter, daughter-in-law, come. When you think about it, though, um, Ruth had observed some bad experiences, to say the least, that Naomi had gone through mm. as a believer in God, mm. and yet she still wanted to go and live in that environment. Isn't that interesting? Because, yeah, to to human level, you might think, well, your God's not done very much good mm. for you, has he? You know, look what a tough life you've had. But there must have been something in Naomi that she had seen that was bigger than what life circumstances is. And surely that's what real faith is about, that it's not just dependent on whether you've had a good day or whether God's given you a blessing or not that week. But this firm conviction that God is with me and yes, life has its tough ups and downs for all of us, including God's people. But I know that God is with me. And I think the fact that Naomi goes back, clearly this woman is despondent. You know, she doesn't hide that because one of the first things she does when she gets back to, to Bethlehem is to say to the people when they see it, yeah, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara, call me bitter, call me bitterness. So She's not pretending. She's saying life is tough, but clearly there must have been something in her life for Ruth to be able to say, I've seen something of God in you and how you live your life. And I want it. There were plenty of gods back in Moab, mm. but she clearly seen something. Mm. And, and she wasn't escaping from her life before. Um, uh, you know, there was every reason to stay in a sense. Absolutely. Mm. She would have been, frankly, much better off staying. You know, there would have been other Moabite guys she could have married, no doubt. There would have been extended family there who could have taken for her. Because she was so, going to a foreign land and going back to Bethlehem yeah. with Naomi. And she would essentially be an immigrant. She would be an immigrant as she arrived there. And I think she's very aware of that as she starts to try and take her place in the community there in Bethlehem. Is she ostracized or do people welcome her? I think she's very aware that, that she's the outsider. So as they go back, we discover end of chapter one that they go back just as the barley harvest is starting. Ah, here's a hope in the story. And so in, in chapter two, we we find Ruth saying to Naomi, look, let, let me go out into the fields and what was called glean. A bit of an old word that, isn't it? Mm. But um to glean meant to, to go around the edges of the field when it had been harvested and to pick up the bits that had been left. One of the laws that God had given to his people was that when you harvest your fields, don't harvest right to the very edge. Leave some crops at the very edge and in the corners for the poor to come and glean, to come and lawfully take for mm -hmm. themselves. And she goes to a field of this guy called Boaz, who's a relative in the family, turns up there to go and glean. And, you know, she's here in the story sort of round the edges 
picking up this these grains that 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 come back. And he's obviously followed the law. He's doing things correctly. He's, yeah, he's relieving the edges of the field for the poor to 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 go to. Exactly. Yeah. And so we see straight away that this is a, a godly man. He's wanting to do things right. And he comes out one day, and on this particular day, she's out there, and he, he sees this girl over in the field in the distance. Can't work out who it is. And again, this picture of she's keeping herself to herself, obviously fearing even if others weren't ostracizing her, she is feeling in herself very ostracized. And, and Boaz says, who, who's that over there? I don't recognize her. And the foreman of the workers says, oh, that's the young woman uh, from Moab that, that, that's come back with Naomi. She asked this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She's been working out all day there. And, and Boaz goes over to her and says, Stay here with us. You don't need to go in any other fields looking. You, you, you're welcome here. Um, stay here behind the other young women. So he draws her in a little into the community. He, he could have God's gone the other people. way. I mean, this is this is an immigrant, a stranger, not part of the local community. He could have done. But it's interesting that, again, another part of the law was very clear that God's people should always have open hearts to those who were immigrants. Perhaps that's quite a powerful word for Christians in the West today. Our heart should not be closed to immigrants. doesn't mean that in our day and culture we shouldn't have laws, but our heart should be very open to those who end up coming to our nation in terrible need. And that was written into God's law. And Boaz is living by that. So, I mean, Ruth obviously didn't have anyone to provide for her because she was a widow as well. Her mother-in-law was also a widow, so there was nobody providing for her. So presumably she was very grateful to Boaz for his response. Absolutely. Because when Ruth gets home that day, she goes home with this, you know, very often they used to sort of carry the, the grain in, in the folds of their robes. So she she goes home with all this grain that she's managed to harvest. She's She's been given food and drink, by the way, while she was working there in the field. So again, a tremendously uh, welcoming attitude here. And, and she takes the grain back to her, her mum-in-law. And the first thing Naomi says is, goodness gracious girl, where did you find all that? And, and so she tells her mother-in-law, she said, oh, I ended up in this field of a man called Boaz. And suddenly the penny drops. Suddenly. Naomi realizes that this Boaz is a distant relative and suddenly the bells start ringing because a, <laughs> a distant relative meant that there was still hope for them. And she, in fact, she says, you know, that man is one of our closest relatives. He's one of our family redeemers or kinsman redeemers, some of the older version has. And what the kinsman the redeemer was the the nearest living family member who had responsibility to care for the wider family. Um, again, we're so used to in the West of thinking of family of, you know, grandma, granddad, mum and dad, their kids. Mm. This is a culture, as in so much in the Middle East still, where family extends to all those in need, to nephews and nieces and cousins and anyone in need. And the kinsman redeemer was the member of the family who got a responsibility for redeeming, taking care of any distant member of the family who'd found them in difficulties. And suddenly she realized she thought she was all alone, 
and she wasn't. Interesting, isn't it, in life? We can often think we're all alone. Elijah had that moment when he said, God, I'm all alone. There's only me. And God says, no, there's another 300 prophets like you (laughs) who've not bowed the knee either. So often we think we're alone, but God always has provision for us, Mm. even if we can't see it. And she'd not seen it. Why had she forgotten about this family member? Who knows? Maybe the trauma of all that she'd been through, but suddenly the penny drops. There is a distant family member who could possibly help them in their situation. Because the bitterness that you said she had um, sort of turned to, to some extent, had maybe spiral down a little bit in terms of us seeing any hope in the situation yeah i think she'd completely given up but but now there's going to be this turning point and it's like suddenly hope is awakened and i think many of us will have had experiences in life where you know we felt so downhearted so black and suddenly there's a glimmer of hope and it's like a little spark in a forest that can now take us somewhere and that's what happens with Naomi in the story. Is there a sort of pecking order of these members of the wider family who have that responsibility to... Yes, there was. And in fact, as the story unfolds into chapter three and chapter four, we'll discover that there's someone in line first before Boaz Ah. that Naomi didn't know about that almost upsets her little plan because chapter three is an absolutely great story in Ruth, because she's now, the, the the cogs have been whirring, you know, and she's she's got a plan made. She knows how she's going to fix this now. Um, so in chapter three, she says, right, so Boaz is this closest family redeemer. She's wrong, as we'll see, but she thinks he is. He's the closest family redeemer. He's been so kind, you know, he'll be there tonight at the threshing floor. He, he's the solution to all our problems. He's the solution to our problems. Come on, let's let's put all our eggs in this basket. And I love this bit because she says to her, she says, now look, sort of pretty yourself up, girl. You know, take a bath, put on perfume, dress in your nicest clothes, make, make the best of yourself, girl. Go to the threshing floor and uh, let... Boaz see you I mean she's really wanting her you've got to make the right impression come on girl make the right impression so off Ruth goes to the threshing floor and uh, later that evening when when Boaz has, has eaten and drunk had his wine and he's feeling a bit sleepy and he lies down for the night and that night Ruth does something which in our mind seems really strange They're sleeping out there by the threshing floor. Why? Because you don't want anyone to steal your grain, do you? So he's there with his men sort of on guard, sleeping on the threshing floor. And around midnight, Boaz suddenly wakes up to find that Ruth has crept up towards him, lifted up the corner of his blanket and sort of tucked herself in there at his feet. Now, there's nothing ungodly and nothing sexual going on. As I say, she made an inappropriate advance. It almost seems like that to us. But what she was doing in the culture of his time, she was, yes, saying, we are a family in need and I'm inviting you. The word she used was spread the corner of your garment over me for you're our family redeemer. So she was like acting out a parable. Just as she'd lifted the blanket to lay at his feet, 
she was saying, and that had woken him up in the night. I mean, it must be quite shocking. You wake up in the middle of the night and and find there's a woman there at the the bottom of your bed. So he's completely shocked, but she's ready with her answer. Now, I'm acting this out to say, please, would you stretch your garment, your covering over us as a family? You're our family redeemer. So she's appealing to him. And he could have, of course, misinterpreted that uh, for sure. He might well have thought he'd overstepped the mark previously by inviting her to pick up the grain, etc. He absolutely could have done that, and he really wants to make sure that no one gets the wrong message, so make sure she's gone before everyone wakes up the next morning. Though the Bible's really clear, there's nothing improper going on here. But what comes out in this story is, yeah, I will do this, and it's true that I am one of your family redeemers, but... There's one who's closer than I am. There's one who's further up the pecking order. So he didn't think that he was the one anyway. No, he knew. And so while he wants to do it, he has to go through the proper channels and see whether this other kinsman redeemer will step in first. I think that must have been quite tough for him because I think it's pretty clear he liked the lady by now. Mm, but he's, he's gone out of his way to help her and provide for her and he wants to help her. But he had to follow protocol. Now he has to follow protocol. And, oh, my goodness, this is a moment for you're going to have to trust God for his timing. Because what would his, his responsibilities have been exactly? What, what would he be taking on if he had accepted that uh, invitation, if you like. What he would have taken on is the responsibility to buy back the land, which it seems like they'd mortgaged at the time of famine. So he would have taken on the land, but he would have also taken on the whole family, the whole responsibility. So he would have taken on responsibility for caring for Naomi. He would have had to marry Ruth and then be responsible for any children that she would have had. So, you know, you're taking, yeah, you get something out of it. You get a nice bit of land, but you get a whole host of responsibilities. (laughs) That's a big ask, isn't it? As well. Yeah. So he was, what, reluctant to to, to go through with this or just wanted to, as you say, follow protocol and do it properly? He wanted to follow protocol and to do it properly. So the next morning he goes in Chapter 4 to the elders at the city gate. That's where you could find them if you wanted to find them in those days, and he's arranged a meeting with this unnamed other family redeemer. And he says, um, now, I thought I ought to bring to your attention the fact that, you know, Naomi's come back with her daughter-in-law, and uh, there's this piece of land, and I'm I'm wondering if you want to redeem it. And the guy's eyes must have started to sparkle. He's rubbing his hands, thinking, oh, I could get my hand on some land here. So he said, yeah, uh, uh, yes, you know, you can imagine him getting very godly. Oh, yes, I see my responsibility. Uh, I will become kinsman redeemer and redeem this land for them. Uh, and then Boaz says, oh, that's good. Oh, um, by the way, if you do buy the land, you know, you've also got to care for Naomi. And the law requires that you're also going to have to marry Ruth so that she can have children and then the land can pass on to them. And suddenly the guy starts to back away and he says, oh, no, I, I can't redeem it because it might endanger my estate. And he's starting to think of, you know, property laws and inheritance laws. And hang on, if I have a child through Ruth, maybe then her son 
will claim my land and then what happens to my kids. You know, people who've been through divorces and things today often end up, don't they, with disputes among the different children in the family. And it's, it's that sort of picture that's going through his mind. And so he says those words that Boaz must just have kissed heaven when he heard. And he says, ah, well, yes, if it's not just the land and it's a question of having to marry Ruth and be responsible for her descendants, then no, no, I, I don't feel I can do it. And inside, I'm sure that Boaz is saying, yes, <laughs> because he's now next in line. And this is, of course, exactly what he wants. He seems to have fallen for this young woman, Ruth. Mm. So having said that, the other family redeemer in front of the elders, that was his word. So that was the end of that. That was the end of that, and they even did it legally. They used to do it with taking off a sandal and sort of thwacking the sandal, and that was symbolic of the deal <laughs> agreed. So that was it. There was no going back on it now. This was legally agreed that Boaz was now the kinsman redeemer. He was the one who was going to redeem the land. So Naomi's secret plan sounds like it's coming to fruition, and... Was it ha happy ever after? Well, it does seem to have been so, because as we get to the end of the story, we read that Boaz took Ruth to his home and she became his wife. And when he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant and she gave birth to a son. And there's a blessing over this son and Naomi blesses the child and the whole town's really, really happy and rejoicing that this woman, remember what we said in the story, hopeless, everything gone, no hope, husband gone, two sons gone, left destitute, and suddenly the story ends with her holding her grandchild in her arms. This is Naomi holding her grandchild, celebrating this little boy. What was he called, by the way? Uh, he was called Obed. And as we read the story, it says they named him Obed and he became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of, wait for it, King David. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Suddenly now we are back in this main flow of the story of God's people. And God here has brought an outsider in and brought this outsider into the family and she so embraced faith in the living God and so become part of his people. And God has used her now to produce the child from whom King David will come. The great King David that God will use, the man after his own heart, the, the man that God will use to establish Israel as a nation rather than these tribal confederacies. And how relevant is that for us today? And especially for anybody who feels like an outsider. I think I would say when God looks at you, he never sees you an outsider. You may feel an outsider. People may have said you're an outsider. Their actions, their words may have pushed you to the margins and to the edges. But God's heart is big and wide and open. And he loves drawing in those who feel on the margins, those who feel on the edges, those who feel they've got no hope. Those who've been rejected. God is a redeemer God. That word redeemer means he takes what is broken and rejected 
and brings it in and fixes it and keeps them, as we've said, not on the margins, not on the edge, but draws them right to the center of his heart and his purposes. So no one listening to this today should feel I'm rejected. I'm on the edge. God could never use me after all I've been through. Wow. Here was a woman, Naomi, who ended up on the margins through circumstances going pear-shaped in life. Here's the other woman, Ruth, who's an outsider because she'd never been included in. But both of them find they have this incredible place in God's plan and story because the heart of God is big and wide. It has no edges, it has no margins, and everyone is welcome in. David Tavener was in conversation with Mike Beaumont, who's written about the people of the Bible throughout the Christian Basics Bible. Catch their conversations anytime on the UCB Player or with your favorite podcast provider. Just search for Bible Biogs in 30 minutes.